Hi everyone, welcome to the PDF Podcast. The Professional Development Forum, or PDF for short, was created to help diverse young professionals achieve career fulfillment. Today, I'm pleased to introduce our guest, Karen Loon, a non-executive director and former partner at PwC Singapore. Karen has over 30 years of deep, cross-cultural experience working with local, regional, and multinational organizations across the Asia-Pacific, particularly in Australia and Singapore. We chat about Karen's experience as a fourth-generation Australian-born Chinese and how she ended up building a career in Singapore. We also touch upon diversity and inclusion in the workplace and also some advice for young professionals looking to work and live in Asia. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and let's get straight into it. Uh, hi, Karen. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you being on the PDF podcast. Uh, maybe just to start off with, uh, why don't you give us a bit of a background to who you are and what you're doing right, right now? Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you. Uh, my name is Karen Loon. I'm a fourth generation Australian born Chinese, and I'm currently a non-executive director based in Singapore and was previously a partner with PwC where I worked for 29 years, both in Australia and in Singapore until about two years ago. Wow, 29 years is a very long time. Was that all in Singapore? No, no. So um, maybe I can I share a little bit more about my, my story and my background. Sure. I'm actually a, um, some people would say fourth generation, but on one side of my family, I'm actually fifth generation Australian born Chinese. Um, so my background is a little bit unique. Um, so my dad and his family are all from Tasmania and Tumut in New South Wales. My mum's family are all from, from Darwin and Northern Territory. And I'm actually uh, from Tamworth in New South Wales, where I lived for, for 17 years. Um, wow. So it's a little bit of an unusual background. Um, but yes, I do have a great grandma, grandmother who was born in Australia as well. But I did the um, quite typical uh, background. Um, I, in fact, didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. I had a parent who suggested perhaps I might want to uh, become a chartered accountant. Uh, so I did the, the more typical studies. I went to Sydney University uh, to uh, study the right sessions to become a, a chartered accountant. Uh, and then I joined uh, PW in Australia for four years, where I did my chartered accounting program uh, before I decided I wanted to travel overseas, uh, like many chartered accountants. And I actually ended up in Singapore from 1994, uh, largely until now, except for a two-year period when I came back to Australia. Uh, so it's been a long journey, yes. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> actually, I'm just interested. I want to touch upon your your background, um, just given mm. so many generations. Do they? When do they? When do your what great great grandparents come to Australia? And, and how? Did, what was the yeah. story behind that? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So a uh, very interesting story. So uh, on both sides of my family, my great grandparents came to Australia. Uh, largely. So half the family uh, went in about, we're probably talking about 1870s to 1890s. Uh, so some of the family went to Tasmania, uh, ended up in Tasmania around Launceston area. Uh, some of the family ended up in, uh, went, I think, to Gundagai and Tumut. And the other side of the family, mum's side of the family, ended up in uh, Darwin. And uh, in fact, my grandmother was born in Pine Creek. Uh, so it's a very unusual background, but on both sides of the family, you know, the grand, great grandparents came to Australia um, and my parents uh, both grew up in Sydney. So uh, eventually their families moved to Sydney uh, and they met there. So um, very un unusual background uh, at that point in time. Yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to figure out from a, like I'm first generation, I think um, this, this <laughs> typical sort of stereotype where you've got 
you know, very you know, strict parents, you're, you're supposed to study certain things. Is that typical, even though you were, you know, fourth, fifth generation ABC? I, I don't think so, because I think my background was different. In fact, I was the first in my family, uh, immediate family, to, to go to university. So although I, I did have one uncle that, that went to university as well. Um, and so my family always grew up, you know, at a time when uh, getting tertiary education was not not easy, you needed money. And so, in fact, my father ended up being um, training in, as a plumber uh, and then had his own business. And my mother also, you know, did her own, you know, secretarial, worked in banks, uh, that sort of thing. And in fact, uh, they ran their own business in Tamworth for many years uh, in air conditioning, which was very unusual. Um, so, no, they didn't necessarily, uh, you know, pressure us to go into uh, particular careers. Uh, but I think they always valued education and working hard uh, because they felt that that working hard was a way to to actually to get you know become more affluent um, and become more comfortable. So, so the, I think that working uh, hard work hard you know viewpoint was always something that that existed in my family. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. Um, another comment from that is, I guess your background being you know born in Australia is often a comment um, in regards to you know not not. You know, you're being you're too Aussie to be, um, you know, in Asia, and you're too Asian to be in Australia. Yes. I, I I don't know if you, you can relate to that at all. Yeah, it it is interesting, and I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. I think I mean I grew up in in Tamworth, and mm. Tamworth. Yeah. You know, most people laugh at me because they say, "Oh, you're from Tamworth. It's the country music capital." Yeah. Um, but you know, my family grew up with, uh, you know, I, I would say very Australian values, but. Uh, you know, things like work, work ethic, you know, importance of family uh, were important uh, to, to us. So I didn't probably realize and understand my, my Chinese side of things until I actually came to Singapore. Uh, because of the way I'd been brought up, you know, I think I came to a situation where, you know, instead of, uh, you know, people in Australia often at that point in time would say to me, well, where are you from? And I would say, you know, I'm from from Sydney or, or whatever. They would actually say, well, where are you from? Um, I'd say Australia. And then I think there were different stereotypes that you were dealing with. Perhaps I didn't speak, uh, you know, Chinese. Uh, you know, I, I was less aware of, um, you know, holidays and 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 different um, cultural differences. So that's I think when you realise uh, a little bit more about stereotypes when you realise that you're not perhaps as a beer drinking Australian as I was, yeah. nor necessarily. You know, very Asian either, um, and but you you need to learn how to adapt, which which is always a, a learning experience of living overseas. And was Singapore sort of was that the reason you went to Singapore to be more touch your roots, or was it just more the opportunity came up? So so for me, um, I always wanted to work overseas. I didn't, to be fair, really know exactly what I wanted to do, uh, but someone said, look, Asia's got a lot of opportunities at the time. Why don't you think about going to to Asia? And so I, I went originally for two years and ended up staying for a lot longer, uh, more because of the opportunities in Asia to work with financial services clients, which I wanted to do. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it was, it was honestly for job reasons. And um, I actually felt that there were a lot of opportunities uh, to work with great clients, meet some great people. I, I, I loved the travel, uh, which was part of the reason I wanted to stay in Asia. Um, I got to work with, you know, not just Asian clients, but, um, a lot more international clients in financial services at a time when it, the industry was growing, growing a lot. So, 
you know, a lot of my clients were not only Australian clients, but American, Swiss, French, uh, Singaporean, uh, all sorts of different different organizations. And I really loved the opportunities to, to work and, and, and challenge myself in a different environment. And when you first came to Singapore um, and just given your background, was there some sort of, um, do you have any much culture shock or was it pretty much an easy transition? To be fair, it was probably a, a culture shock, although I suspect it was probably a culture shock both ways as well. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, I, 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 I had to learn how to adapt, um, which wasn't easy. But I think one of the things that, that did help for me was I had always been used to working hard. And, and at that stage, it was pretty hard to, you know, you had to work pretty hard in Asia because there's so many growth opportunities. But yeah, no, there was a, a culture shock. I think I, I don't or didn't speak English. Um, I, I uh, you know, didn't necessarily understand the food. Uh, my accent was very strong. Um, but on the other hand, I think, you know, there was also things where I, I think, you know, some of my bosses realised there were uh, attributes that I could also bring to the clients and, and different ways of doing things as well, which um, I think uh, were, were good, you know, that, uh, you know, I was actually quite adaptable. Um, you know, I think Australians tend to have, uh, you know, different problematic problem solving skills uh, as well that they can bring to clients. And so, um, yes, eventually I did learn to adapt, um, you know, had to learn to work very hard, long hours, um, you know, uh, ridiculous hours actually at some stage, but a lot of fun where I got to learn a lot as well. And so, yes, not easy, but I think when you're young, it's a great opportunity to learn these things. Yeah, definitely. And just out of curiosity, touching upon your background again as, a, as an Asian Australian, obviously you worked very hard. You became partner in Singapore. Um, yes. do, do you think that could have, do you think the same thing would have happened if you stayed within Australia? I personally, you know, in hindsight, don't, don't think so. I think um, actually uh, I would have initially said there were more gender barriers initially. Mm. And, and I actually felt that when I was working in Australia, uh, when I first started work, because um, there were very, I, I, you know, I think there were definitely partners uh, in my firm and, and in professional services when I started, uh, but I couldn't remember seeing, you know, even even very many managers. So um, definitely, it was pretty hard as a woman uh, to progress. Unfortunately, at that point in time, I then realised later on that there were also very few uh, Asian Australian partners, probably until, uh, you know, the late nineties. Uh, well, maybe there were a few before, but there weren't a lot. Um, and so I've been very fortunate in my career to to actually make it in, in Asia, uh, given given the times that I was, I was going through. And how would you say diversity, we touched upon diversity inclusion, obviously we, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the glass ceiling, the bamboo ceilings. Um, how, how do you compare the two countries um, in terms of diversity and inclusion? I think you need to take a step back when comparing countries because it is very difficult to compare, uh, you know, one country to another because you need to understand the historical context mm. um, of both countries and that plays a big part in in what the DNI strategies uh, should or could be. And the other thing is, I I find um, diversity is also often a, a, there are tensions between diversity and inclusion because sometimes if you strive for diversity it's at odds with, with inclusion. So um, I, I did lead diversity and inclusion uh, in my previous employer uh, in Singapore. And, and the way we do need to look at things is quite, quite, quite different because of the historical context. Um, we have a lot of natural diversity in Singapore. Uh, we have people from you know, very different backgrounds, Chinese, Malay, Indian, as well as others. 
Um, there are a lot of different uh, policies because of the historic history of Singapore, uh, where there are, I guess, you know, you are classified based on your, your race, which is something very different to Australia. Um, and then for gender, uh, there've always been some quite progressive uh, policies um, as well. So I would say when I was looking at diversity and inclusion in Singapore, we focused a lot more on inclusion because of the fact that there were so many different groups. We wanted them to try to work more inclusively together um, and, and to, to maximise that, that diversity. Uh, if I compare that to Australia, um, I think we also have had, you know, pretty good gender policies and, and very good uh, numbers of women on boards there. Um, but we've also had things like uh, the White Australia policy, which has had an impact on how people think about things. But I think, you know, the, the challenge in Australia is, is a little different. We, we do have uh, some diversity, but I, I think there's a lot of um, unspoken words and, and unspoken thoughts there about how we deal with, with, with things under the cult, underneath the culture. Um, so how you actually deal with each of them, I, I think, is, is quite different. Uh, because of the scenario and, and how people feel about uh, diversity and inclusion. So to me, you need to look at things quite, quite locally. Yeah, it's yeah, it's probably not like a straightforward answer. There's a lot of complexities no, and nuances, no, I agree. Yeah. But just living in Singapore as an Asian Australian, on the other side, was it an advantage, like you're just given your, your background, or is it something you had to work on a lot just given you had a bit of that culture shock? No, I think... I personally, and I've had some discussions with some some colleagues of mine as well. I actually think it's it has been an advantage for me. Um, so I think, as I mentioned before, um, Australians actually we are brought up um, differently, um, you know, to to people in other countries. And I think one of the things that I do find is that the way that we think tends to be uh, maybe a bit more pragmatic. Uh, solution-based. Um, we might not be, you know, as detailed as, you know, those who've gone through education systems in other countries, but I think that problem-solving problem uh, skills are actually can be advantages in certain situations. And, and that tied with uh, having, for many people, an understanding of culture because of family values, because of some language skills, uh, plus, uh, you know, I think many people have actually had that strong work ethic, um, which is actually viewed as important in Asia. It actually means that uh, some Asian Australians have actually done uh, done pretty well. Um, so, so in my case, I would say it's been an advantage. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's not easy for everyone, and, and everyone does have their own story. And just to go a bit back to your career, so I just wanted to understand a bit more about your journey from. Do you start off in audit and then yes. and it made your way towards yes. partner? Um, I was wondering for younger listeners out there, what advice do you have for those who are, you know, pursuing or interested in climbing that career ladder from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, um, and this is something that you, you know, I, I learned from, from later in, in my career. I mean, definitely working hard is, is important. And I think many of us have brought up that working hard is important. Uh, but I think the big thing is actually around uh, relationships um, and getting the right support to help you through in your careers uh, because uh, so much of, of working is, is also about, um, you know, unfortunately, the, the people you know and how they can help you uh, to, with your career and advising you and supporting you uh, through your career. Um, so I would say that you know, being open to uh, meeting different people 
and and asking for its help and advice and you know where people offer you opportunities you know think about taking taking those as well because often they see some talent in you that you you know may not see in yourself and and um you know what, what do you have to lose if if you know give it a go um and and, and see how that that goes um so i would say you know the working hard trying different opportunities you know the agility experiences that you can get including being overseas are amazing, uh, but also you know seek to build those relationships and 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 work with people uh, who share in your passion and, and are there to support you in your career. And I think mm. that's really important. Yeah, mm. you, you mentioned the word passion. Actually, was audit yes. was audit a passion of yours? Like, how did that happen? I guess <laughs> I, I would I would say that um, you know uh, the audit to me uh, was a process by which I hadn't I was able to meet great clients and people and, and work um, and, and learn some amazing things. And so uh, what I, I've always loved is, is uh, you know, the, the opportunity to work with great clients, uh, the chance to work with some amazing people and learn. Uh, and so I, I got my energy from, from those opportunities, which uh, audit, uh, you know, gave me, um, I wouldn't, I would have to say, you know, I don't. I, I'm not a fan of audit per se, but I, I do like the opportunities that it gives to to allow you to grow and to work with some amazing organisations. Sure, it's sort of like a vehicle that allows you to yeah do, do something else, like the other aspects that you enjoyed, which was meeting clients, yeah. etc. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Def- definitely. Yeah. 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 And we touched upon um, building yourself that you've built a career in Asia. Do you have any advice mm-hmm. for younger professionals or that are looking to to do the same thing? Definitely. I mean, it was one of the best things I, I did in my career. Um, you know, as I said, I, my background was, was a, you know, quite, um, you know, I would say Australian, uh, but it really opened my mind up to, you know, different ways of doing things, uh, you know, meeting, you know, different people who do things differently, different, different approaches to things. Um, and I think that's a really important attribute um, that you can have, you know, no, no matter where you're working, because the world is work is, is operating so quickly. Um, and so I would be open to, you know, whether it's short term stints, you know, if it's six months with your organization or even medium to longer term opportunities and, and trying to do those when the young, the younger you can, uh, as well, when you actually have maybe less ties to, you know, you're less tied down, whether you're, when you're more open to meet people, because that's when you really get to understand an organization and a culture is actually when you are younger and you know say in in singapore you know lunch is a big thing you know you're always going off for lunch with your colleagues lunch with your clients and that's where you really get to know them and you have much better opportunities to do these things when you're younger um so 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 think about that and then also continue to build your networks whether uh they're the networks of people who have come from overseas to australia uh or vice versa when you go overseas because uh, particularly uh, you know, if you you see that there's opportunities to work with uh, people and organisations in Asia, uh, those long-term relationships of people that you've known and you worked through the ranks with, you know, 10, 20 years before, uh, are really invaluable things that uh, will help you you later on. Mm. Um, and so, to me, I actually think part of it is, you know, stretch yourself and give yourself the opportunity. Um, you know, get yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, because, you know, those are, are attributes that uh, you will need, you know, in, in a work career later on, given, you know, the speed of, of work is, is so fast these days. Hmm. 
Um, actually, one of the topics I wanted to touch upon was the Asia Society paper that you contributed to, um, mm-hmm. which, which is about the Asia Asian Australian diaspora. Can you give us a bit more detail on that and how you got involved? I got involved with with that because I I have an interest in uh, Asian Australian leadership. Um, and uh, so they asked me to to contribute, particularly because of my experience uh, in diversity and inclusion, uh, as well as an, an Asian Australian diaspora. And so, uh, so my role was to contribute some ideas for for that paper. The paper touches on the point that Australia is quite div- you know culturally diverse. We have a advantage when it comes to doing business within Asia, um, except it seems that we don't fully utilize the Asian Australians. Um, whether it be in corporate or politics or um, whatever industry it may be. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? The the paper touches on, on two things. I think the first part of the paper is around Asian Australians in Australia uh, and their role to you know, how they can best contribute uh, in corporate Australia. Uh, and it does make some recommendations on, on how corporations can increase uh, or seek to increase the number of Asian Australians uh, in Australia. Um, through, you know, uh, alignment to uh, the importance of, of having Asian Australians to their, uh, their strategy, uh, to their HR policies, um, to understanding, you know, what does that mean for their business case and things like that. Um, the other part uh, as well where I can contribute was around diaspora. Um, I, I think you've, you sometimes use the word expat, but I, in the paper we use the word diaspora, uh, which means those people who are offshore uh, you know, whether they're Asian Australians or of other uh, backgrounds uh, who have had experience in Asia uh, and can contribute to the Australian economy uh, if they return back as well. And so uh, the other recommendations that they recommend in there is around uh, potentially uh, diaspora policies by the Australian government uh, to look at, to try and, and bring those resources back to Australia uh, and best leverage on those in, in corporate Australia. Because I often read that returning expats um, that come back to Australia from overseas, mm. that they struggle to find, um, you know, similar jobs or um, opportunities when they come back. They feel like they're not valued as much. Do you have any mm. thoughts on that as well? Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I would say, from from anecdotal knowledge and, and speaking to others, you know, no matter what background. Uh, unfortunately, they, they do feel that they haven't been given perhaps the opportunities that they um, believe that they could contribute in. Uh, many people um, in Asia have worked in, in global or regional roles uh, with multinational companies, companies for example, um, and, and they are skills that, that can be very well leveraged uh, in Australia um, in, in corporations. And, and you know, I think that's where, unfortunately, some people are of the view that you need Australian experience and need to understand uh, Australian uh, environment to to operate, but. Uh, in this case, we're actually talking about Australians themselves who actually have got the Australian cultural knowledge as well as the experience over, overseas and can best, you know, blend those experiences and to contribute. So they are definitely a, a big pool of people with different knowledge um, and, and different insights that can be leveraged. And do you think Aussie companies, you know, there's often talk about, um, you know, expanding to Asia. Are they really doing so? Like outside of, you know, resources, minerals, um, we've had cases like ANZ who've announced that, you know, going to Asia and then a few few years later they, you know, sort of pull out. Um, is that a common common theme? I mean, there definitely are 
Australian companies are still expanding uh, offshore. Um, you know, some of them have had some successes um, and, and some of them have not not done so well. And, and maybe the ones that uh, people hear about are the, the, the larger ones. But um, um, yeah, there probably are also some some smaller companies that have had some success. But, um, uh, you know, fortunately, fortunately, you know, they, they could perhaps be, be a bit better. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know, again, this is all a lot of it's anecdotal. Um, I feel a lot of Australians here, if they are bi or trilingual, I feel like they don't, they're not in roles that require those. Um, and I, I, I just, my, my thesis is that there aren't that many opportunities to work with an Australian firm overseas. Um, obviously, PwC is multinational. There's a lot of multinational companies within mm. Australia, but I'm just talking about purely Australian companies. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. mean, I would, I would say that um, actually the majority of people, Australians um, from who I, who I know, do not work with Australian companies. Um, they're actually with, you know, whatever different roles and, and majority of those people are on, on local terms, uh, not on expatriate terms. So, um, yes, the opportunities for, for many people actually are, are often going to be in uh, the, you know, global firms and, and other local uh, firms here rather than maybe the Australian firms. Uh, but there are some Australian firms which have, have done quite well. Um, I think uh, one thing also is, is um you know i would say the smarter companies are the ones that actually recruit locally in these markets as well so they may not necessarily be recruiting australians uh as well they may be you know the smarter ones are going to be the ones who who find uh, a good mix of both local and foreign staff uh recognizing that you know in a local market uh you know the local skills are, are often the ones that are more valuable for these organizations as well yeah, it brings me to a point. I was reading a Harvard Business Review paper. I think it came out years ago, but it was actually on Samsung and how mm-hmm. they um, actually have a, for a lot of their managers, they actually have like a two-year um, policy. I don't know if they still have this anymore. They have a two-year policy where they said some of the managers overseas to live in a, in a foreign country for two years and mm-hmm. they don't have to do they don't have to do any work at all. Essentially what they do is to get in there, learn the culture, learn the language, um, maybe study a bit more, just travel for two years, and then mm-hmm. they'll get seconded into that into that office. So I thought that was mm-hmm. quite an interesting um, thing that you don't really see many companies um, doing. I would say there are actually certain uh, country groups where they're very good at actually um, trying to to move their people around. Um, I think, um, yeah, and there are certain organisations that historically have have done a lot as well. Uh, so. Um, for example, German companies and, and Swiss companies, you see a lot of Germans and a lot of Swiss, for example, who have been um, living in Asia for a long time working with their companies, but but yet have been here on, on long-term secondments. So um, actually there are some country groups where I find that they, they do invest in their people um, and also their people are very open to these opportunities as well. Because, I, I mean, you're living in Singapore. There's, I mean, yes. Singapore is a different country given that it has no natural resources it's yeah. a country of, I don't know, what, 6 million people mm. around there. Um, but you have companies like, uh, I'm from real estate, so Capital Land, you know, has been there, been in Vietnam and China for, for 25 years. Yeah. I would struggle to find any similar companies of that scale in Australia that have done something mm. even close to that. Um, just, you know, that relationship building, that you know, long-term vision. You know, certain certain organisations have had those views. And I, I, I do think that's something that... Uh, 
you know, certain country groups and, and certain companies have, have done well is, is, yes, you're right, it's taking that long-term view on investing um, because, you know, recognising that relationships, uh, you know, organisations take a long time to, to build. Also, I would say they, they sometimes look at risks differently. You know, risks do need to be looked at uh, with a different lens and, and managed differently um, as, as well. Also managing talent, they've, they've been very good at trying to, to manage their talent. But also then I would say the final thing is really getting the, the right people on the ground and building that cultural intelligence that's needed to survive in the long term. And that's, that's very key. I was wondering, based on your uh, perspective, are you seeing a lot of Asian Australians considering a career in Asia? Well, I would say there are already a lot of Asian Australians who have careers in Asia um, and, and maybe people haven't known about it. So, um, you know, I know a number of, of people who have done that, um, you know, made their careers, you know, in Asia from the, you know, definitely from the early to mid-90s onwards. Um, you know, whether they came here, um, you know, as graduates, I know some people came because of, you know, uh, economic situations in Australia, or whether they felt there were more career opportunities. There are actually quite a number of people uh, here already um, and, and actually majority of them would not be with Australian uh, companies. And, um, you know, they, they often stay because it's easy when they have some family connections uh, in this part of the world. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, often stay longer if those family ties are, are longer or may return back to Australia uh, if the family ties, you know, mean that they want to go back home again. Um, but I definitely, it's not, a, it's not a new thing. I think actually it, it's been going on for, for the last 30 plus years. Um, you touched upon the opportunities that Asia has given you. Um, we talk a lot about this Asian century. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think do you think Australians or Australia has you know capitalised on that, for lack of a better word? I I, I think Australia could could do more. Um, you know, I think if we think long term about you know where the growth is going to come from, um, you know, Asia will always continue to grow faster than than Australia. Um, sure, I, I think it's, it's often difficult for companies to look, you know, 10, 20 years ahead because, you know, the uh, business cycles in Asia are definitely different and maybe rockier than in Australia. And, and you know, in Australia over, say, the last 30 years, they've, they've largely had economic growth. Uh, so that is actually, you know, how do you compare economic growth to some of the growth cycles? But I think if you do look at you know the long-term trends in the past as well as going forward, um, I, I do believe that you know Asia is where the longer-term growth will be, and, and so the question is how do companies try and um, position themselves best best for that? Uh, you know what sort of alliances or tie-ups or business arrangements will allow them to to leverage on that, and and I think learn uh, on how to do business in Asia as well. Okay, cool. I think we'll start wrapping up now. So since you've left PwC, what was it, two years ago, um, what have you been working on since then and what are your future plans? Yeah, so um, I'm now a non-executive director. Uh, so I spend uh, some of my time on, uh, I have one commercial board and uh, some not-for-profits uh, and professional groups. And then I've also uh, wanted to use the time to go back to study. Uh, so I'm currently studying at INSEAD as well, which is which is great. What are you studying, and what are your future plans post post that? So I'm I'm actually studying for my uh, executive master in change at INSEAD, uh, which is a, a degree that uh, looks at system psychodynamics, uh, okay, which wow. is uh, yes, 
it's basically uh, you know understanding uh, organizations uh, but uh, looking at it from um, you know a, a uh, sometimes a more, a more psychology based uh, basis, which is uh, not the most articulate way of explaining it. So I'm very interested in, in organizational cultures and um, the, um, you know, how, uh, I guess, uh, the, in, the experiences of, of people growing up um, and, and, and interacting with these organizations uh, operates. Uh, and so uh, one of the areas I'm, I'm very keen to, to leverage on as part of that experience is, is to give back in the diversity and inclusion space, uh, which is an area I'm very passionate passionate about uh so i'm doing some some of my own research and study in that area all right i think that's all we have time for today karen so um maybe just finally where can people reach out to you if they want to find out more about your career or more about asia australia okay they could connect with me via linkedin um and uh, my profile's on, on linkedin thanks for joining the pdf podcast today karen really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this thank you hi all thanks for listening if you want to find out more about Karen, feel free to reach out to her on LinkedIn. Remember to subscribe to the PDF podcast and have a great day.